0: Good morning all. It's good to see you. We are in the book of James chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10, God willing. James 4, 6 through 10. While you're flipping there, I would like to take this opportunity to publicly acknowledge my wife of 40 years today. I'm doing that publicly because she's a saint. To live with me for 40 years, that just really gives her, I don't know, some extra something or other. But uh, thank you, honey, for putting up with me for 40 years. But I also wanted to say that for the benefit of some of those who are actually watching online. Um, I've got several preacher friends who are in foreign countries that are watching, and I'd like, just like to admonish you to remember your wives. Women who are married to men in ministry have a very difficult task. It's a lonely life. There are very few friends at times because of uh, the the nature of ministry and that kind of thing. And a lot of times a support group is not there as it needs to be. And my wife has endured most all of that. And I love her for what she has gone through. But I want to say to all the preachers who are listening, make sure you take care of your wife. Love your wife because uh, she deserves to be known for a woman who was treasured as the woman of Proverbs 31 was treasured. James chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10. Let's just go ahead and read it in its entirety, and then we'll go back and try to draw some applications from this segment of the book of James. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep let your laughter be turned to turn to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the lord and he will exalt you in this text we obviously find a uh, an offsetting admonition for pride that we need to be individuals who are uh, seeking to be more humble and I I think if I were to give this lesson a title, it would be the only solution to pride is dot, dot, dot. And James outlines at least three things that he says here that we need to be doing to make sure that we're not prideful people. Just with less than an hour ago, actually about 30 minutes ago, I, I finished up my live Lord's Day live Sermon that I do every Sunday morning for those who are shut in, etc., and people watch it literally around the world. And I'm thankful for that. But this morning we came to a, a interesting chapter because in that sermon series, I'm working through the book of Genesis. And we got to Genesis chapter 30. Interesting chapter. In Genesis chapter 30, Jacob and his wives basically begin to compete over who's going to give them the most babies. And uh, you might recall that um, in Genesis chapter twenty nine, he ends up wait he wakes up with a, a wife he didn't expect, Leah. And then his uncle Laban said, "But I'll give you your other wife that you worked seven years for, Rachel. At the end of this week, you complete your time with with Leah, and then I'll give you Rachel. And uh, but I expect seven more years. And so in all, Jacob really worked fourteen years for his wife, his favorite wife, Rachel. But when you Then move into chapter 30, they've been together a while, and Leah's having children. And Rachel's very, very jealous about that, because she's supposed to be the favorite wife, and now Jacob's attention seems to be kind of shuffled off to the side here to Leah, because Leah's the one who's got all the kids. And Rachel is very envious, you find in Genesis chapter 30. And uh, in that lesson that I, I preached, like I say, about 40 minutes ago, um, we, we find several things about envy that kind of ties into what James says here in James chapter four, because envy and, and pride, they, they tend to go together. But the three things I said in that lesson were number one, with regards to envy, envy and in, it inflates expectations because you're looking kind of down through a, a tunnel. You got tunnel vision. All I want, Rachel said, all I want is kids. I don't care what it has has to happen for me to have kids. I just want kids because my sister's having kids and I want to have kids. And in that process, she envies her older sister and thus she begins to destroy the relationship with her older sister. But maybe more importantly here is you find that she goes to Jacob and she says, give me kids or I'm going to die, which is an unfair expectation of her. She should, and Jacob basically says that he says, who am I God? I'm doing everything I can essentially, if you will. And, uh, in the process, you find that she has inflated expectations because she's got tunnel vision. That ties into this pride issue as well. We'll see that here in just a moment. But the second thing that, that Rachel does is she reduces the joy that she can have as far as her reward is concerned. She'll say later on in the chapter, as Naphtali has been born, she'll say, I have finally beat my sister as far as you know the competition of who can have the most kids is concerned. And she takes pride in that, which is really an empty pride because she didn't give birth to Naphtali. That, that child didn't come from her womb. She's cheated the process, essentially. She hired her servant, Bilha to have children for her. And so in spite of her, her claim to having whooped her sister in the competition of who can have the most kids, she really didn't. Because at this point, she hadn't even had a child. And then the third thing that you find about the envy that comes about with regards to Rachel, Rachel, is that at the end of the process, she she's not even satisfied that God gives her Joseph. Because if you read the text, it actually says that after being blessed with Joseph, <coughs> excuse me, the first child from her own womb, where she really does now have the bragging rights, and she actually says, God has finally taken the, the reproach away from us me, etc. And that's legitimate at that point, not naphtali earlier, because that wasn't even her child. But Joseph sure enough is, but she couldn't be satisfied because you read the text. It actually says that when she names Joseph, she goes on to say, and may God give me even more. Now she's going to receive Benjamin as well as you know, later on. But my point is that envy, when you start down that dark path of envy, it destroys a lot of things. And the last thing that you see in that text in Genesis chapter 30 is it actually destroyed The opportunity for her to be satisfied with Joseph, even in Joseph, she evidently wasn't satisfied. Now, that's Old Testament stuff, a sermon I just preached a few moments ago that you weren't able to hear. But as you now come and you kind of put that, if you will, over top of James chapter four, I think there's a lot of similarities that we have. Now, in James chapter four, it's not a narrative as much as it is a principle based passage. But now James is going to talk about pride, and I want to, if I can, see if you can see a few of the parallels between what's happening in James chapter 4 and what took place in Rachel's life back in the day. When you come to James chapter 4, there's three things that James says you have to do in order to overcome pride, which often is a result of envy, jealousy, whatever it may be. The first thing is he says you've got to resist the devil. Now, that's a, uh, and I, I, don't, I don't want to say this blasphemously because I don't mean it that way, but that's a cute little phrase to, to a lot of us. And that's all it really is resist the devil and he will flee from you. How many times have you heard that? You know, maybe you memorized that as a child, whatever you mean. And so it's kind of a cute little jingle that we put, you know, in our head and we say, isn't that interesting? And the tragedy of that is that it's far more than a jingle, it's not a cute little phrase. This is the line from the Holy Spirit to combat pride. And so don't assign it to just a neat little jingle that you put off to the side and you say, hey, that's a nice principle. No, this is a principle that has to be applied in your life. Resist the devil. All the way back in Genesis chapter four, you find an interesting story. This is the firstborn of Adam. If anybody should have inherited original sin, it should have been Cain, because he's the firstborn of Adam, okay? But it's interesting that what God will say to Cain in that context is sin is crouching at your door. It wants to have you, but God will say in conclusion, you must rule over it. In other words, from the point of acknowledging Cain and his ability to rule over sin, all the way down into this present room today, we understand that God has given you the ability to act upon things that are destructive to your physical and spiritual relationship with God. And this is one of them. James says, you want to stop being prideful, resist. I don't know if you're as disgusted as I am, but... I look around at our culture, and I see some of these individuals of the woke nature that, that changing up everything They object to whatever it may be and all the crazy pronouns that they want you to to, to to Use on their behalf and whatever it may be and yet some of these individuals these young people are as lazy as the day is long many of them don't have a job they're living off the government some of them as Happened with the, the woman in the, in the women's NBA that went off to spend time in Russia, you know, in prison there in Russia, et cetera, who didn't appreciate America prior. I don't know that she does now, but you, you just find these, this entitlement attitude among people as if I am owed. I can lay around my bedroom doing nothing all day long, but I hope that I'm going to get that check from the government to take care of food because I'm owed that. And it disgusts me, as I suspect it does many of you in the audience as well. But are we any different when we find ourselves to be prideful but we don't have enough gumption to do something about it? Yeah, it, it should disgust us. Lazy people living off the government, etc. You know, not making even an effort to, to try to, to take care of life. and not, Yeah, that ought to discourage us. But are we any different when it comes to pride? Do we just expect somebody else, you know, they just gonna suck it up because I am who I am and I'm not going to change who I am. Are, Are we any different when we lazily approach a subject that all of us struggle with in the room? I suspect when we lazily approach that subject, refusing to do anything for ourselves. When God says all the way back in Genesis chapter four, you are capable of ruling over your own sin. So let me just be personal. I got a lot of pride. I can be full of myself. Ask the woman of 40 years. I can, I can experience some moments where everything revolves around Sonny Chows. and so sadly to admit, that happens more often than it should. I'm prideful. But that's not really the question, because I think everybody in the room could to some degree relate. The question is, what are you doing about it? That's the question. James says here, as he would have said to Leah, excuse me, to Rachel back in the day, had he been alive back then, you need to resist this. I don't know. Rachel may have. I don't know. But it doesn't give a lot of evidence that she, in her jealousy towards her older sister, did anything other than criticize her husband. How come you're not giving me kids? We've got to be people who take step number one. If you're going to overcome pride, you've got to do something. What are you doing to resist that nature in your life? Now, he builds on that in his second point. He's going to say, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And then if you'll notice, verse 8 is actually the opposite. It's the positive. He's going to say, so you resist on one hand, and then the other hand, you draw near. And so if you're going to resist, don't go in another wrong direction. If you're going to resist, you're you're going to stop going that way. Go towards God. And so he says in verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If we're going to overcome pride, we've got to draw near to God. It's interesting that uh, as you go through the story of Rachel, it does indicate that she evidently had been communicating with God, that she had prayed to God and uh, asked that God would open her womb so that she could have children, etc. And when she gets to Joseph... She really does acknowledge God, that it was God who took my reproach away. See, so you, you got to at least appreciate that with regards to Rachel and her tr- attempt to overcome pride. But with regards to what James says, if you want to overcome it, you, you've got to do something to, to move in the direction of God. So it's not just enough to say, Satan, I don't want you, I'm not going to focus on being proud. That's good, but that's not enough. You've got to fill that void with something positive, and that void has to be God it's like the uh the woman who's changing the diaper and uh she was over there by the changing table changing the diaper of her little infant and her two-year-old boy come to the to the room and he was standing at the door across the bedroom and, and he said mommy i went potty in my my uh my uh, diaper and she can't leave the child on the Changing table. I've done that, and uh, it's, you're not supposed to do that. They'll roll off, believe me. And anyhow, she can't leave the child on the on the changing table for the boy over there. What's she going to do? Because she can't reach all the way across the room. So she makes that statement, common sense statement that all mothers are good at making. She said, "Son, come close to me, and I will help you." Now that may not sound too profound to you, but that is exactly the message of Scripture. God says, draw near to me. Come over here. And so to the Calvinist who would suggest to you that everything has been pre-manipulated by God, I would ask of you, why in the world would he tell us to draw near to him if it's already been pre-manipulated by God? God is saying to you and I, in a relationship manner, I want you to do something on behalf of a relationship. I get it. You can't save yourself to the little boy. You can't change your own diaper. I get that. But God says there's something you can do. Come over here to the one who can change your diaper. And so he's calling us to come to him. We do not live a life of irresponsibility sitting in our spiritual recliners, all cocked back, just letting things happen because God has predestined The concept of predestination comes up four times in scripture and I'm confident the Calvinists have abused it every time with regards to predestination. We as people are not pre manipulated into anything. God may know what we will choose, but even in that he continues to call, draw near to me, come over here, child, so that I can help you now in context, we're dealing with pride. That obviously can be applied to a thousand other things, but in context, he's saying, you got a pride issue? Number one, what you doing about it? Are you resisting the Satan at all? I'm not gonna do everything for you. You gotta make choices, just like he told Cain. You can rule over this thing. Are you making the right choices? Then number two, the best choice you can make is, don't go that way, come this way. I'm over here, draw near to me and then the third thing he says by way of keys to overcoming pride is he says that you come all the way down to verse 10 humble yourselves before the lord and he will exalt you i can't say that humility is one of my long suits uh it needs to be and in fact i I just recently started praying pretty regular about that i want to be like jesus i want people to remember sonny Childs as being humble I've got a very dear friend who uh, I can't imagine it'd be too much longer, but what he'll be with the Lord. He seems to be in pretty decent health, but he's in his lower nineties and uh, doesn't live too awful far from him from here. But Cindy knows who I'm talking about. And this guy's about as humble a guy as you've ever met in your life, just as humble and good. And I want to be like that. I know when he passes, when he is gone, I know, that people are gonna remember that guy and they'll say, that's one of the most humble men I ever met. I know they will, because that's the way I feel about it. I don't think people are gonna say that about Sonny Childs. Unless, in the last half of my life, I do better. (laughs) And I'm way over halfway, because if I live another half, I'm gonna be 120 when I die. So I'm well over halfway. I gotta change, and I gotta change now. How am I gonna change this pride thing? Well, resist the devil. Do something, Sonny. How am I going to change this pride thing? Well, draw near to God. Go his direction, Sonny. How am I going to change this pride thing? Well, I tell you what, Sonny. You need to start right now being more humble in the way that you think because that's going to produce the way you talk. And it's going to produce the way you act. Start right up here. Be humble. Think humble thoughts. Don't think too much of yourself. Now I want to come back to to Rachel and then I'll shut this thing down. As you flip back now in history to, to Genesis chapter 30 and you see what happens to Rachel with regards to envy, I can't help but connect it to the pride issue here. She was so evidently full of herself being the favored wife, that she really believed that she could make demands, unreasonable demands upon her husband, give me kids. And Jacob says, well, who am I? I'm not God. I'm doing all I can on my end. It's unreasonable because she's full of pride, which led to envy. And then secondly, she also was a person who, because of her pride that led to envy, she made claims, she took confidence Fulfillment, if you will, in empty things. Naphtali comes along and she says, ha, ha, ha I've shown my sister now. No, you didn't. You didn't even have a child. You borrowed from somebody else to have your kid who's not even your kid. It was an empty reward. Really? And then number three, with regards to Rachel, because of her pride that led to envy, you find that she wasn't even satisfied with Joseph, it doesn't sound like. I think there's a lot in Rachel to be admired, but this isn't one of them. I don't want to be like that. I want to be humble. I want to give up my pride. So I want to start today to resist the devil, draw near to God and humble myself before him. Because did you notice the last part of what I read there? Humble yourselves before the Lord. What's the last part say? He will exalt you. There will be in all of your eternal existence, and you will exist throughout eternity, one way or another, but there will not be any statement in all of your eternal existence that will be more powerful, more validating than if you get to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It doesn't matter how many diplomas you have on the wall. It doesn't matter how many times the coach bragged on you for being such a good athlete. It doesn't matter how many times your employer says you're one of the best employees I've got. It doesn't matter how many times mom and dad said, oh, what a good child they are. It's, there will not be a single statement in all of your existence that will mean more to you, be more validating to you than if you hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because in that moment, James chapter 4 and verse 10 will be fulfilled in your hearing and he will exalt you. He will lift you up because you were humble. I wanna be humble. Pray for me.